You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 176, Meg Calvin and Permission for Ambition. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm excited to bring you this conversation to somebody I've recently become connected with on social media, and she is an Amazon bestselling author, a wife, mom, speaker, podcaster. You know, we've got to love our podcasters and a coach. And I love the way she describes herself spiritually. Uh, she helps spiritually attuned go-getters. So that's that's kind of cool. Our guest is Meg Calvin. Meg, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you, Eric. I'm so glad to be here. I'm I'm honored. Uh, I'm glad to to connect with you. Hey, spiritually attuned go-getters, where does that come from? Yeah. So for for lots of years, I am I was a, a weird person <laughs> in that <laughs> I got hired on a church staff when I was 17, and I, I felt a nudge to ordained ministry when I was 13, and answered that call when I was 16. A year year later, was on a paid was on a paid a paid member of a church staff, and served a church um, the same church from age 18 to 32. And so wow. my only my only social circles were holy were fellow holy rollers, uh-huh. and in those professional and personal circles. I felt over those years that ambition and self-love got a really bad reputation and they were seen as of this world and not of God and egotistical and dirty and taking power back from God. All of these, all of these limiting beliefs around ambition and all, all of these, this dirty narrative about ambition. And so as I aged, as most of us hopefully do, as we age, we mature <laughs> yep. and I began to um, find that my ambition was beautiful and godly and that I could have a love of setting goals and chasing goals and crushing goals. And there were other people out there like me. And so spiritually attuned go-getters are people that are ambitious and love crushing goals and are confident. And they they arrange their environment and their habits and the relationships in a way that honors how they're wired. And they, they're also aware of that the Holy Spirit is transcendent, but also imminent, that the Holy Spirit is within us and that God wants us, God wants us to, to be honest with God about what we desire in life because God put those desires there (laughs) and those goals on our heart that, that that we can, it's okay for us to love chasing goals. And so that's, that's what I think my fellow spiritually attuned go-getters out there need to hear is it's okay to chase that goal. Amen. Amen. Well, that brings up a topic we were just talking about with uh, imposter syndrome, right? There's there's a way that uh, the way that we we sometimes, at least in some pockets of Christianity in America, talk about ourselves. It's not okay to have ambition. Um, but I love what you say that God gave us those things. Like he actually made us to do good works, it says in Ephesians. Some Christians struggle with that, and I think I, I I have before as well. And I think it's almost applauded in some Christian circles because we've skewed <laughs> some portions of Scripture and to read things um, in regards to emptying oneself, and with that, we we 
I think are hermeneutically mm. off when we can read that scriptures yeah. like that nature of that nature. I think it's in Philippians of emptying oneself. And we, I think we misread it and we apply it in our lives in an incorrect way. We apply it to our lives as, um, my desires, my goals, my, my comfort is means, means nothing. I don't need to listen to that at all. I don't need. Um, and so I think that's one way that imposter syndrome is, is applauded and we're, we're trained in some religious circles, not to, not to trust the voice within, which I I believe Mm -hmm. is, is, is the Holy spirit. And so I think, I think those types of narratives and limiting beliefs definitely add to imposter syndrome for sure. I do too. So I have a couple things. I like so. For, first of all, friends, if you don't know, imposter syndrome is kind of this internet business word for um, the idea of just doubting yourself and doubting that you have anything to to do, or feeling like you're going to get found out. Right? You're not. You're not doing everything right. Um, exactly right. But um, that. So we were talking about this because I posted on Facebook. I don't know. Last week I said, "Hey." Uh, I'm kind of wrestling with some imposter syndrome this week for a variety of reasons. And lots of people jumped on there to say, you know, hey, don't, you know, you're not an imposter. We we love your work or whatever. All those kind of encouraging great. things. We love you. Yeah, yeah I, was, great. I wasn't really fishing for that. I was exactly, right. but they did. And that was nice. Um, but I think you're right. I think this idea of self is really um, – uh, is skewed just a little bit by some of the passages that are talked about Jesus, um, you know, and certainly we're called to serve and be like him, but that idea of that you have a self, just because you have a self doesn't make you selfish, right? There's a difference. And so, right. I, you know, figuring out who you are, in fact, I, I have a whole thing in the spiritual journey um, when I talk about it, that one of the stages is finding yourself in Christ, and that's actually a really important um, important stage. So I'd love to talk about that as as we go. The tips that I would suggest were, are check your check your narratives. What is your what is your inner monologue like when it comes to yourself and e- the ways that you serve? And if if they are if they are based if they're based on a certain scripture, I would dive into some commentary on that scripture and look at it through different translations of the Bible and really dive in, find out, just check yourself. Am I, am I (laughs) being hermeneutically responsible? Like, am I being, am I um, honoring the integrity of this scripture? Who's the, who's the original audience, you know? um, And and so check yourself with limiting beliefs that are, are, are built that might be coming from a scripture. Chances are they are. <laughs> and I would also check your, check your relationships and how you are navigating those relationships. Are you, are you, how, what percent of your week is spent with people that, that make you feel as though you have to work extra hard to appease or impress them hashtag high maintenance relationships <laughs> or how or what percent are you spending with those that are life-giving to you so check and and those not that are life-giving to you because of how they remind you of who you are and who god made you to be and so um yeah check your limiting beliefs your narratives if they're from scripture dive deeper into it um chances are someone <laughs> taught you the wrong way, way to interpret that scripture. No, just kidding. Um, check your relationships. How are those being navigated? Um, take some, take, there's so many out there. 
the take a personality test to find out are you are you honoring your the way that God wired you are you aware of your inner terrain are you aware are you aware of how you best learn and or how you act during stress and so spend some time really figuring out tapping into exploring who God made you to be personality wise and then rearrange your habits and your environment to honor that um, make time for solitude and meditation, prayer, being outside in nature, um, tapping into spiritual disciplines of those like those, I think are very healing to imposter syndrome because they they quiet the rest of the noise in the world and and let the Holy Spirit remind us of who of who we are. And it makes perfect sense actually to me that you are feel that you felt imposter syndrome around the time that you were asked to start writing for this podcast magazine. Yeah. And um, because I, I, I love, as I said before, I'm a total, total nerd for the brain and I love the work of Mel Robbins and she, she's a, a life coach. She has an amazing Ted talk that changed everything for me about how to stop your brain from screwing you over. And she talks about how our brain wants to keep us alive. That's the main objective. And so what that means is that the brain really loves being on autopilot. So whenever we have a nudge from the soul, as she calls it, and as you know, we all use different words, but most of the time we're saying very close to the same thing. <laughs> and so she says a nudge from the soul, we would say Holy Spirit. And it after we get a nudge, and maybe it's walk across the room and talk to that attractive person, you know, if you're single and I don't know, at a retreat or something, because <laughs> that's what Christians do. They go to retreats. That's a bad example. <laughs> but um, it's true. Or you have a nudge. Ah, I really want to research Kansas foster care programs. It'll take after you have that nudge from the soul to do something new and creative and risky. It'll take the brain only five seconds and then it will start telling you, usually it'll tap into the language part of your brain and start telling you all the reasons you shouldn't do it. Now, what's great is if if within the first three seconds that you have that that soul nudge, if then the first three seconds you do and you do something, you physically do something with that idea. It could be it could be physically putting one foot in front of the other toward that attractive person. It could be writing on a napkin Monday, call Kansas foster care programs. Any physical action we take, it puts an imprint on our brain and it quiets that negative self-doubt. It, it, it quiets that autopilot part of, um, that brain that wants to be on autopilot. And, um, and the more that we do that, so for writers that are experiencing lots of negative self-talk, if we just put our fingers on the keys and just muscle memory, just start typing something on that Microsoft Word document, just start typing, it'll, that physical act is going to quiet the negative self-talk. And so it makes, it, it makes uh, <laughs> perfect sense to me that that's, you're feeling that moment of imposter syndrome, right? As you got an amazing opportunity presented to you that you were that you were made to do, right? Well, that's exactly what it what it took too. I had to start just writing, and the next day, I finished and edited the article, and I loved it. Right? I was like, "This is great! I can't! I'm so excited about publishing this. It's going to be in a magazine. How cool, right? Yay! But so um, cool. Yeah. So that that's really helpful. Let's talk about. Let's go back into your story because I bet that that comes out in throughout your story. In fact, I know it does. So, um, you said you grew up in kind of a holy roller kind of background. What, what does that mean? And, and tell us about that. Yeah. So 
it was not in my home. In fact, as I as I share in the in in the book, I am my own sanctuary. There were definitely times when I did not. F- feel affirmation and validation in, in my home. And so like so many, <laughs> I found that in the church and I found that, um, I found a, applause when I would sing or speak in, in church. And so I, I confused that <laughs> as, um, as, as, as love, but it was a, it was a definitely a performance based love. And from from what started as meeting a, a developmental need that I wasn't getting at home, from me getting that at, at in in the church, it 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 grew to an me answering my calling in an authentic way, and it led to an authentic faith. the The holy rollers I grew up with was mainly because my my grandparents were were missionaries, and they began taking me around with them to conferences and trips and retreats and other churches. And I, I was, um, from a place of love, I, I became a, a, a preaching and singing little monkey. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, and so, yeah, that, that led me to, into lots of relationships, um, with, with mostly, mostly whole, with mostly holy rollers. And so from that, that place, as I've shared before, my, in my in my twenties, my my orthodoxy, what I believed about God's character and about human beings, I believe was, in my opinion, sound theology because it's my theology. So of course, I think it's sound and right. <laughs> yeah. But my ortho my orthopraxy was off and needed readjusting. And so, and what I mean by that is the way that I the way that I carried out my faith life and the way that I believed about myself and my mind and my body and my emotions. All of that was was not helping my relationship with God or myself or my neighbor. Yeah, which is interesting. So was it sort of a charismatic Pentecostal kind of background? Is that what we mean by holy roller? No, surprisingly, we mm. were um United Methodist. Uh however, I went I went to United Methodist college and um I went to an American Baptist seminary. Okay. But a lot of I would say a lot of the voices of mentors in my life. I had a widespread all over the theological spectrum. Um, but I would say the ones that I, I struggled the most and with and call out the most in this book are limiting beliefs that were passed down to me from, from more Christian conservative evangelical mentors Mm. and friends. Yeah. Well, I get that. Um, okay. So, (laughs) How did your faith become your own? So you you found it to be advantageous for performance, but how did you kind of connect with God personally eventually? I would say that I authentically, of course, all of us have memories where the Holy Spirit was palpable in our life. And I, I touch I touch on those in, in the book. And one when I was singing in the church choir when I was six, and another when I said a youth group, Mud Wars, then they threw in the flyer said just mud wars, but then it was also a night of worship after, but that somehow was left off the flyer. Oh, wow. <laughs> they snuck in worship in sixth grade youth group and it was a multi-denominational event. And my parents were separated when I was, I was, like I said, in sixth grade and my dad was fighting in the Bosnian conflict. We were in the States. He was overseas, obviously Bosnia. 
And there was a youth volunteer from another church that invited anyone up to, it wasn't an, it wasn't an altar call. It was just a moment to be prayed over and prayed on. And I remember they invited the youth members up and I, I felt a nudge on my heart to, to go and share the, the sadness on my heart of being a new kid in town. We had just moved there and missing my dad and feeling weird about them being separated. And, and I remember this youth volunteer just reminding me of how much God cares. And that was another moment that the Holy Spirit was made. um, The Holy Spirit's presence was made palpable in my life. So I think from, I think I definitely had an authentic connection to God. I think what I did not have was this realization and and this didn't i think in 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 the book I, I talk about the past seven years of my life and what began to happen then and that the pivot point where i came mm. to start believing that instead of a relationship with god being performance based and my relationship with others being performance based that our i had to reach a point of believing that our vocational calling our life's purpose or path whatever word you want to use it is simply an, an overflow of who we are meant mm. to be who we are at our core and we are all as co-creators called to create good and beautiful things and we're called to serve others with our talents and we it, we do this naturally as an overflow and and so i had to reach that point instead of um, being a 17 year old workaholic on a church staff, <laughs> <laughs> which again is rewarded, right? right you know, if you yeah. show up and you perform and you do the things, right? People like it. Yeah, they like it. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and they give you positions and they give you titles and things. Yes. Right. And I don't know if you, I'm, I'm sure as a good little Christian, you're familiar with the Enneagram. Oh, yeah. And um, are, are you? Oh, yeah. We had Suzanne oh, yeah. Stabile on the show. Oh my um, gosh, she's amazing. It was I love great. her so much. Yeah, it was amazing. So amazing. Well, I am a three, the performer achiever to no surprise. So yeah. yes, I I I loved I loved the applause from the church. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, let's let's talk about that then. Let's talk about the next the last seven years and how that goes. So yeah. how how did that start? I mean, was it sometimes that kind of thing starts with a dark night of the soul or a spiritual mm-hmm. dry place? Is that is that what happened or what was it like? Yeah. So um, I was in, I was in seminary and I was going down the ordination path because mm-hmm. um, in United Methodism, we've been ordaining women over 55 years now, I believe. And so, and that's, that's part of my, I was recently on another podcast and the host asked me about what I think about the Beth Moore, John MacArthur issue. And I, <laughs> I said, I, I don't want to be offensive. She's, to her or to him. I said, but I don't even think about that story because that that's never been a part of my story. I, I said, Beth Moore is amazing. She's obviously called to preach. And I said, I don't put a lot of mental energy toward trying to prove myself as a, a female who's called to communicate how God desires to heal all creation. <laughs> nice. So I, I don't I don't feel a desire to defend or prove prove any of that. So I have been being pushed, literally pushed toward the pulpit since I was 13. So mm. um, I was in seminary. Um, early 20s, 24 to be exact. Um, that doesn't matter. I'm just a detail. I love sharing details. Sorry. That's okay. Um, I was 24 and was going down the ordination track to become an ordained elder. So it would put me on the senior pastor track. And I was serving on a church staff at the time. And um, it, like most things, it was a 
there there probably was a dark night of the soul dark nights plural nights of the soul yeah. but while i wasn't while i was in seminary and a little before in in under in my undergrad time i started noticing a difference between myself and the other people that were obviously made and called to ordination and the things that that lit them on fire that got them so excited were the sacraments and marrying and burying yeah. <laughs> word and order and keeping alive the bureaucratic machine. And I could care less about those things. <laughs> I I really started in, in college. Um, I got to serve as a chaplain at a Methodist summer camp and I really fell in love with the, uh, the brain and the connection of neuroscience and spirituality. And I fell in love with with working on a team and encouraging teammates and helping people find their gifts and honoring how God wired them. And I felt I was, I've always been in love with words and in bringing the healing of God to others toward written and spoken word. So I, I noticed a difference between the other people that were also on the ordination track. And then what I started to see, and my husband gets some of the credit for this, when I started dating my husband, I had no life outside of the church. <laughs> and he really helped me to discover how fun I was outside of the church and that there was the Meg <laughs> that existed outside of the church. And she was, she tried, she tries to be funny and she's spontaneous and she, she can have hobbies. So um, Garrett was very healing to me. Like some of our closest relationships are to us. They're healing to us. And so I was a newlywed. I was at seminary. I was, I was being reminded of, oh my gosh, I'm not being lit on fire by the same thing my classmates are. I don't want to talk about sacraments. <laughs> I don't want to talk about committee meetings. That's awesome. And so I really tapped into my heart and started seeing that um, I like, like it is for most threes on the Enneagram to bring that back up. Um, my driving force for wanting to be a senior pastor was it, it truly was the, the unhealthiest side of my ego. It was egotistical. I liked, I liked the, it was, it was sexy, the powerful title. And in seminary, I think the turning point was I had a, a mentor in seminary. She's now a life coach, Kristen Anderson Wolf. And she borrowed, she, I was sharing with her my doubts. Like, I don't, like, I know, I know I am gifted in, in teaching and speaking and that the Methodist church needs more young pastors, but I don't, I don't know if this is what I was made to do. And she gave me this book by Parker Palmer, Let Your Life Speak. Yeah. And in, in that, such a good book, right? It's yeah. awesome. And in that book, you probably remember, he tells the story of, as a good little Quaker, he was sitting in a group of friends, can't think of the name of that group, but, um, he was he was offered the job as president of a university and his friends in this accountability group, they asked him, when you think about that, he was deciding to take it or not. And they asked him a very poignant question. They said, Parker, when you think about this position, what is it that makes you the most excited? And then without missing a beat, Parker said, it is seeing my picture on the paper on the front page with my name under it and the headline, <laughs> Parker Palmer is new president of the university. So for him, it wasn't the work that was giving him joy in life. It was, it was the allure of the sexy title. And when I read that book, oh my gosh, I, it, it hit me. I, 
I wrote an eight-page letter to my parents, an eight-page letter to my grandparents, and then I had two tearful meetings with mentors that I was pulling out of the ordination track. And then, so I was 24 at the time, and I had been, like I said, I felt a nudge to preach when I was 13. So nine, the past nine years of my life, when I should have been being a normal teenager, <laughs> I was addicted to the church and going to be ordained. And from 24 on, so the last nine years, um, and then when I started the book, I, it was, I write seven years ago and when she was then, but it's been this journey of tapping into, am I, what is my motive for, for this? Is it, is it to be impressive? Is it to appease others? Is it to impress others? Is it to, is it to appear like a good little Christian or am I doing this to honor how God wired me? That is a really powerful question, isn't it? Um Yeah. I, I reflect on this a lot because I think, particularly in evangelicalism, maybe maybe in other stripes of the faith, but it's uh, we tend to reward people who do right, mm-hmm. and as long as we do that, we get we keep getting certain results, and that may or may not be Christ likeness. Um, yeah. And so, I, interesting. I identify with that a lot because it, it took me nine years to get a seminary degree. Oh wow! And then yeah, and then I went. I figured out that. Uh, Maybe that's a church is probably not the place I want to be, you know. So that was mm-hmm. disappointing. <laughs> but um but also an interesting journey. So um you're serving you're serving a larger the church at large. Yeah. Yeah. I actually found recently this year that I had written down in my journal in two thousand two that I thought God might have an unconventional ministry for me. <laughs> awesome. And here we are. Uh so anyway. That's right. But so that's interesting that um, you, you know, it sounds like you really had to go on this this journey of trying to figure out who are you and, and what do you want and where is God leading you through that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also looking back at, and being um, on our podcast, which is over vocational discernment, I we had recently had it, well, not recently, last year we had the guest, Daniel, author Danielle Schroyer, and she talked about um, giving yourself grace when you look back and you think, did I, did I misinterpret God's call? Mm. And I know all, there is a variety of answers to that question, but I think we could all agree that God was at work. God was at work for good. And there was, I, I learned much about myself and about the church and about how God works and um, no, no regrets, no regrets at all. Thankful. I, I, I am. Um, I started tapping into who God made me to be as opposed to trying to heal that or um, heal that instead of living out of that wounded place of, I must, I must impress my church members. I must appease my church members. I, that performance-based mindset. I'm yeah. Yeah. You're kind of over that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For, for sure. For sure. And now I get the fun job with as in my position at the Institute for Discipleship, we have an online learning platform, beadisciple.com. And I get to work with online um, content creators and Christian solopreneurs that are wanting it, an online platform to host their course. And we off, we, we host their course and we market it for them and we help them with all the, we take over the payment process. So their students um, pay us and we pay the instructor and the instructor gets the majority of the profits. It's a great program, but a big part of my job is coaching instructors on how to market their course. But in a huge part of that is getting them over 
so many limiting beliefs that their religious upbringing passed down to them about ambition and sharing their course with others and making sure they're, they're staying true to who they were made to be and not if they are in a position of ministerial leadership, um, not just <laughs> losing themselves and wearing their burnout like a badge, <laughs> yeah. trying to appease their, their congregants. <laughs> right. Which happens all too often. All too often. Yes. Interesting. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So what surprises you about what you've learned through this part of your journey? me what has surprised me is i feel i feel that i should have learned i should have learned this sooner Mm. but then i work with people that are that are have been on this earth longer than me by 10 or 20 years and they are still they they are still struggling with the things that I was struggling with seven years ago. Those things being, I must make my decisions based on what appeases my, my parishioners or what appeases those in my social circles or impresses those. Um, I must, I must shrink back and, and play small because that's the godly thing to do. And so to work with people in their forties and fifties and sixties that, that have those limiting beliefs in their life, that, that surprises me. And Mm. it's, um, I, uh, it's almost, it's almost, it's almost, it's almost annoying Yeah. <laughs> if I could say that when I visit with some, I, I'm aware of their potential and I, it, it saddens me. It's, it angers me how much they're, they're limiting beliefs about, like I said, their ambition and their talents, their, about around self-love and self-care, how they just have such a negative view of self and they think that that's godly and it's really saddening and annoying to me, which is one of the reasons I wrote the book. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I like that. Is there a story you have about how that came out for you, how you figured out, oh, I need to care for myself? At the church I served in, my senior pastor was amazing and we had a great relationship. And I was a, um, I was a minister. I I did stay in seminary. I got out of the ordination track, but I got my degree and um, I was a minister to children and family, and we had a very open hierarchy in our church staff. So I, I still led tons of committees. I still preached, um, along with doing five nonprofit programs for children's and families. So it was, wow. it was a, it was a, it was a blast. And I had, I was thankful, even as a young person, I was very respected. And my senior pastor, he's at the time my boss was, he is <laughs> the real life example or the real life version of Michael Scott from the office. <laughs> and he's ridiculous. And I remember, like I said, I, I, I was a workaholic in the church from age 17 till I met my husband at 24, 23, got married at 24. So I had no life outside the church. And one night I was working late and he was, he never worked late. He was late 50. So he'd been in the game, obviously a lot longer than me. And he, he never worked late, but he was back for a meeting and his meeting was over and he came back to my office and he, he turned off the light and he said, <laughs> and I'll never forget it. He said, if you do not get a life outside of this church, you will never survive life within this church. Go home. Wow. <laughs> and it was so great. And over the years, he taught me that, and this is a hard truth that so many ministers have to accept. And that is that no one in your church, there's not going to be any committee in your church that is 
self-care for you. Like no one cares <laughs> about you. Like they love you. They love your ministerial leadership and your gifts and, and they'll like what you put of your kids on Facebook, but nobody cares about you enough to hold you accountable to your self-care. And Dave, my, my boss then taught me that. And so he really, he really started me um, on that path of, of thinking of that and tapping into to caring for myself and lo- loving myself more. Loving the the parts of me that were out were other than my ta- were were outside of my talents or other than my talents. Yeah, like yeah. what? Loving, loving the the quirks, <laughs> loving the the hu- the the jokes, the humor, the um, coming to a point of realizing that. I could love myself and God loves me and the people that matter the most to me. And that I should put my, the most amount of energy into those people. And then in the book, I talk about different tiers of relationships. And sometimes most of the stress in our life comes because we're not, we're giving a T one amount of energy to a T tier three relationship anyway. So um, I had to come to a point of realizing that I could sit at home all day and do nothing, just sit in a chair, which is, which as an Enneagram three is really difficult because we, our motive for everything is I must impress you with my accomplishments and I must perform well. Um, but I could, I could sit at home all day and do not a single thing. And I, I would love myself just the same. God of course would love me just the same. And my tier one relationships, those, those relationships that are always easy to love and are always worth the work, those people would love me just the same. And getting to that point of self-love and then realizing, like I said a minute ago, that I could spend every day of my life sitting there and be, and do nothing. But out of an overflow of who God created me to be, I was made to write. I was made to speak. I was, I was made to make people laugh while they learn. It's a, it's a natural overflow. And there are people out there that, that, have the same questions I do. So I should write about them or there are people out there that who want to find healing like I did. So I should write to that person. And it's an, looking at it, at it as a natural overflow of who I am, as opposed to, I must do this to earn love. So you start down this kind of new path. Like what, what, um, you know, how did that change? I guess maybe you've been talking about how that kind of changed your identity that you were okay to not have to perform. You ended up, you know, changing careers. What was, what was that like? Yeah. So I, I stayed serving in the church and as I shared, I had an amazing senior pastor who encouraged me. He said, he said to me, I know you're a young person and you want to apply. And now you've gotten this new epiphany and of um, that you're going to pull out of the ordination race. And he said, I want you to stay here and evolve, evolve here. And so I, I did, I, I stayed on that as I write about in the book, I stayed on at the church staff serving in that role and then, and what's so funny is I, I said, I, I think we all use different ways of saying this, but we all mean the same thing. I said no to God to preaching on Sunday mornings, but I, I, as I shared before, I still preached occasionally. And then my hobbies, while I served as a minister to children and family, my hobbies were, I worked at Weight Watchers. And that helped pay for seminary, but um, I didn't really care about the money. I did it because I loved speaking every Thursday night to people. <laughs> so my hobbies were I got paid to speak at Weight Watchers on a weekly basis, encouraging others with words that I created <laughs> and helping them love themselves and own their power. And then I also worked for, as a hobby, I worked... <laughs> 
for um, a civic leadership development company that empowered um, local leaders to own their power in their different nonprofits. And so I was, I said no to God to preach, to speak behind a mic every Sunday because I, I had thought I'm just, I was just doing that uh, to get applause and that's not what I made to do. And, but then my hobbies were <laughs> that exact same thing. I, I was drawn to it like a magnet. And so in the book, I unpack these five tips of discerning your vocational calling. I use those terms, but I, I know others prefer life calling or life path or purpose, whatever. Yeah. So same thing, but yeah, it was quite fun. And that goes back again to this, this overflow of this, this just utter joy that I have from, from, encouraging and empowering others through words. And and so that was, I started listening to that. I stayed on the church staff uh, for eight more years after I pulled out of the ordination race track, whatever. And then um, I had my first book get picked up, The Blue Bonnet Child, which is, it offers nonprofit programs and it's a teaching ministry resource for teachers and children's ministers and youth ministers that want to offer hope to kids whose home life seem hopeless. And when that got picked up, that opened the door for um, speaking opportunities and things of that nature. So that, and that was, that was picked up two and a half years ago, I believe March of 2017, something like that. Um, And so that, that just started nudging me more to, trust myself that it was, I, I mm. could, um, I could serve others and live out of this place of an, of an overflow of who I am, which is a, a lover of words and a <laughs> communicator. Yeah. And, um, I, I could follow that and, and trust that. And, um, so I, I did, um, so I left, I left the church staff a year ago last month. Oh, wow. And, um, like, like God always works, um, my, a good family friend of mine who, who is the executive director of the Institute for Discipleship was looking for a director of engagement. And at the time, so I had coffee with him and I said, I feel like I'm vocationally evolving. Here's what's going on. I'm, I'm following my calling to be more of a own my power as a communicator through written and spoken word. I have conferences that I go to and I'd love to encourage others because, you know, it, it now as a, as an author, the majority of the time, if you want to crush it and be effective, you have to become a marketer as well. Yep. <laughs> so I, I became that the past three years and I wanted to share that gift with other solopreneurs. So what I was feeling a nudge to do the Institute for Discipleship was looking for someone with those skills, mm. with that skills, those skills. Nice. Uh, so I have a couple of questions. You, cause you use some language that I think is really interesting that right. will you'll find out there in um, what we, I guess would might call secular, you know, empowerment kind of places. Uh, but that I actually think has a lot of real value in the church as well. So like you've said a couple of times, find my power. I had to find my power. I'm leaning into that. What does that mean? And uh, why should Christians not be afraid of it? Yes, I had a feeling you would have a question about that (laughs) from listening to your other episodes. So I'm glad you brought it up. I don't think Christians should be afraid of owning their, their power because as I share in the book, sometimes we forget that the Holy Spirit of God is 
is within us, that God is both transcendent away from us, but um, also imminent within us. And so owning, owning our power is tapping into the tapping into the divine within. And so it is, it is, it is owning your power as a co-creator with, with God, that God made you to, as I, as I've said, as a broken record to, to serve others and lead others closer to God and lead other, lead others closer to who God made them to be that, that, that takes tapping into the power of the Holy spirit within tapping into your, your own owning who you are as a co-creator. You know what I love about that? So I'm a huge believer. The way I I usually use it is the word agency, because I think Mm. God has uh, created us for a purpose to do good works. And as we do those things, we are actually, um, we actually are powerful. That, that is a, Mm -hmm. that is a thing. He empowers us. The Holy spirit is the empowerment. Um, so I, yeah, I absolutely love that. I've, I haven't, um, well, I have in a few places, but I haven't seen a lot of evangelicals like, uh, co-opting that language, which, but, but I love it. I think it's, I think agency is really super important. Um, which gets to this whole thing that we've been talking about in your story. Hey, we can think that, uh, we're, we're only valuable, um, if we are doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, but we're actually valuable if we're doing the things God made us to do. That's what he wants right. for us. Yeah. And that is the, basically the basis of the the title of the book, which has been my life mantra for seven, almost seven years, <laughs> um, nine years now, but in the book again, um, it was seven years when I started writing it, the, I am my own sanctuary and that it ruffles, it ruffles feathers and it's yeah. provocative and controversial. But once I unpack it for people, especially the first chapter is unpacking it. They're like, Oh, that's not heretical at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so what I, what I mean by that, there, there's two underlying undergirding themes of the title. And that is the first that as I, as I shared I I had met, I ran into so many people in ministerial circles and holy roller circles and that considered self-care as an ambition as, as sinful. And I was confused with how grit in religious circles came from a place of appeasing or impressing others instead of taking ownership of the divine within. And in some cases, I was surprised over and over again how so many religious leaders had lost their sense of grit and grace for themselves and others because of utter spiritual burnout. I wanted to explore that that sense with so many Christians of why we were wearing burnout like a bridge and we were we were not realizing that that um th- that our level this arsenal of grit and grace it comes from the holy within that we don't need it we don't need to impress or appease others it comes from within and the divine is within us and that is said over and over again in in many of our sacred texts that the divine is within us and mm-hmm. that I think even Jesus says in scripture, we will, to his disciples, that they will go on to do more, more, almost more powerful, not almost, but will, will serve in, in ways as powerful as he did. And so just this empowerment that with the divine within us, think of what we can do. And so that was the, f- the first um, reason for that, the title. And the second reason was this um, owning that because in psychology, we talk about differentiation and how that is someone's that is someone's ability to let others own their own emotional health and they have a good balance of autonomy and, and togetherness. 
and they they can be unaffected by the emotional chaos or the poor choices or hurtful words of others around them. And so this idea that we are we are untouchable when we tap into the divine within, we are untouchable mm. to the outside chaos, to the poor choices or the emotional roller coasters of others, which I think is so important for people who serve in ministerial ways because it is so relational oh, to wow. get to a point where you are your own sanctuary. You already have this arsenal of grit and grace within because of the holy and you can manage your relationships in a way where you are, you control your emotional health and you give up the responsibility of controlling others' emotional health. So once I explain that long-winded explanation of yeah. the reasons behind the title, most people come around and they're like, okay, we won't burn you at the stake. You're not a heretic. <laughs> not today, Meg. Not today. Not today. Um, one thing, yeah. So I think you're right. We see the apostles having that differentiation all the time, right? They, mm-hmm. I think we sort of assume that they think, well, it doesn't matter what happens on this earth and, you know, there's going to be, you know, there's, there's an afterlife or something. I don't think so. I think it's because they, they felt so, um, or not maybe not exclusively, they, they knew that the kingdom of God had come, right? That they were, mm-hmm. they were living in it and they no longer had to simply, um, operate by the same rules as whatever the, Pharisees and the synagogue leaders and whoever wanted them to. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, that was really powerful. And I think it's still available, which is why I love, I love your book. I love what you, what you've talked about today. I think that's a huge part of the journey. I call it the journey of finding yourself in Christ. And uh, I think it's super important. Uh, Meg, I appreciate you. I appreciate your, your ministry and this book. So guys, it's, again, it's called, I am my own sanctuary. How a Recovering Holy Roller Found Healing and Power by Meg Calvin. Um, you can find it definitely show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Your website is megcalvin.com. People want to connect with you there, they can. And uh, they can, of course, get this book anywhere they can get great books, right? That's right. All right. Well, Meg, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Love podcasts? You'll love Podcast Magazine, taking readers into the lives of today's leading podcasters and beyond the microphone of the show's fans love. Each month, Podcast Magazine's dedicated writers share personal interviews, industry happenings, exclusive categorical charts, and independent ratings and reviews of under-the-radar shows. If you listen to podcasts, subscribe now at podcastmagazine.com and grab a free lifetime subscription while you can. That's podcastmagazine.com.